You're listening to That'll Preach. This is Brian. I'm here with Paul, live in the studio, uh, getting a batch of episodes done on our series Through the Book of Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, a classic work, classic collection of essays by a great writer, G.K. Chesterton. And uh, we've been having a good time going through it. If you guys haven't been able to pick up the book, make sure you pick up the book and check out our prior episodes. We've been working our way through each chapter and uh, we went through uh, the ethics of Elfland, talking about why democracy needs fairy tales. And we, in the last episode, also looked at um, the patriotism of Christianity, I guess you could say, or what it means to, you know, be have sort of the third way between pessimism and optimism. And this week, we're going to look at the paradox of Christianity, how odd Christianity is, and actually how, how the strangeness of Christianity and even the skepticism of Christianity led Chesterton to believe. It's a kind of a roundabout way of coming to faith. But mm-hmm. We talked about this before we started recording that this is probably the heart of the book of orthodoxy, the book of orthodoxy, <laughs> <laughs> the book called orthodoxy. This is where you come to get orthodox. Yeah, exactly. Just imagine like Greek dudes with beards and robes. <laughs> Dude, I when we went to Israel, I went to a Greek Orthodox service. It's crazy. It felt it felt like alien, like wow. In its foreign. It's not what I thought you were going to say. It was mesmerizing. I mean, they were you know doing the whole chants. Yeah, and uh, they had the iconostasis with the uh, the. Uh, Did it make you want to become Orthodox? Not really, but it felt very Eastern. I mean, it was they had like. The incense, like, I don't know what they're called. I'm going to sound so ignorant, but they're like the thing is like strung on along these like, like these large incense. Tiki like, torches. Yeah, but they're like massive. <laughs> and they're really ornate. Yes. And. Uh, oh, the thoroughfers. Is that what they're called? I think so. Yeah. But the smells, I mean, this, it just filled with that incense. And then there's the, all the icons plastered in hmm. and like different sections that the priest would go into. And. Uh, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's supposed it was, to be evocative of the Old Testament, like temple, right? Like the smoke and the different sections of the temple. Just like Hebrew says, stay stick with the old covenant system. Hey, it's don't not, change it all. It's not sticking with the old covenant. It's just it's just a picture. Oh, okay, it's just okay. embodying the spirit of the Old Testament. Hmm. Are you going to be Eastern Orthodox? No, probably not. Why not? But I, I was, you know, I was baptized Coptic Orthodox. Is that Eastern Orthodox? No, it's uh, Oriental Orthodox. Oh, that's even... <laughs> that's even more ancient. Yeah, there you go. Or at least the split is more ancient. Wow. I feel like we talked about this before. I knew you were baptized in... I think I think I knew that, actually. But um, Coptic is... Is that a, a subsection of Eastern Orthodoxy? No, they're they're like... They broke off from the church in the 5th century. Before oh, so you guys even. are the first Protestants. <laughs> Why, why yeah, did they I break guess, up? Uh, was that about Nestorianism? Cal- Chalcedonian Christianity. No, they're not Nestorian. They followed Cyril. They don't believe in the hypostatic union. Yeah, they don't believe in two natures. They believe in one nature. Really? Yeah, a divine human nature. That's or weird. Divine that nature heresy? through a human nature. I mean, I don't know. Cyril taught that? Well, that's what they thought Cyril was teaching. Cyril, okay. Cyril in his effort to like, we could do a whole episode on this, but... Yeah, in his effort to not be an historian, like separating the two persons of the Godhead in the incarnation, or the two natures, basically was like, no, there's just one thing, and that's the incarnation. It's just, I mean, it was, you're using language to try to describe a really difficult phenomenon. Hmm. They're still Orthodox. <laughs> Are they, though? I mean, they're called the Oriental Orthodox yeah, Church. But, but the Eastern Orthodox doesn't recognize them, do they? They don't count them as part of the Eastern Church, but they, I think there is communion, or at least... Yeah, there might be. Hmm. I know that like in the last hundred years, there have been attempts to reconcile the Christology and the Catholics and the Coptics have a joint statement and Lutherans and Coptics have a joint statement. So I think everyone's beginning to realize it was just a terminological dispute in the fifth century. Well, I learned something new every day with you, Paul. There you go. That's what I'm here for. Well, speaking about orthodoxy, let's get back to orthodoxy. Hmm. And uh, we've been, again, reading through this uh, chapter on... The Paradox of Christianity, very provocative title. Yeah. Um, pro- probably the heart of the book. And uh, it's really, it's a little autobiographical. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chesterton is basically saying, he's like, I don't read apologists. Right. He actually came to faith through reading all the skeptics of Christianity. 
which uh, is uh, it's very interesting uh, angle to take. I love that. He's just like I wasn't. I wasn't reading all of the best stuff written by Christians. I was reading all the best stuff written by all the atheist, secular, skeptic philosophers. Yeah, and that actually made me a Christian. Well, he starts off by talking about the weirdness of the world, and he kind of does a thought experiment where he says, if, you know, if aliens visited, um, they would see, you know, uh, uh, or he said, he says, suppose some mathematical creature from the moon were to reckon upon the human body. And then he basically goes on and says, he'd say, oh, you got two eyes, mm. you've got two nostrils, two ears, two arms, two feet. And then he sees a heart and he says, oh, you probably have two hearts. And he goes, well, no, not quite. Mm -hmm. You only have one heart. And so he's just trying to say that there's just, as soon as you think you can figure out everything in the world or you think you have everything down, it surprises you. Yeah. And the world is a strange place. And uh, he kind of says that whatever worldview we have, whatever we try to view the world, it's got to account for the strangeness of the world. And he kind of takes that and he says, Christianity does that. Yeah. Um, but. Or more specifically that when something is strange or a little bit not quite what you would have predicted, that's almost like a mark that it's true or real. So if, mm. if it follows exactly what you would predict, right. then it's probably not reality. So like the alien who looks at the human body and sees, you know, it's a very uh, reasonable prediction to say, well, you're gonna have two hearts, but that's not quite the case. And so he, he wants to say that Christianity kind of like, it, we can predict some things about it and it delivers to us some things that we would predict, but also it's gonna subvert some of our expectations and we should want that to be true. And that would that's an indication that it's not something that we just came up with. Yeah, that would be something of divine origin. Yeah, it's right. going to surprise us in certain places. It's right. going to have complexities. He, he actually makes this good point where he says that um, uh, when one believes in a creed, one is proud of its complexity, as scientists are proud of the complexity of science. It shows how rich it is in discoveries. If it is right at all, it is a compliment to say that it's elaborately right. A stick might fit a hole or a stone or a hollow by accident, but a key and a lock are both complex. And if a key fits a lock, you know it is the right key. Hmm. And so he's saying that in science, scientists are proud of the complexity yeah. of atoms and, you know, measurements and space and mathematics and all these types of things and equations and algorithms and all these things. They're, the complexity of it lends itself to its truth because you think, well, the universe is a complex place. We should expect weird phenomena and all this stuff like mm -hmm. talk about you know, space. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by space, like black holes and other, and, and. Are you really? Oh yeah. I, I love, I grew up you. loving astronomy, but like, I'm like. You mean astrology. Astrology. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about astrology. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. But just like, thinking yeah. about like galaxies mm -hmm. and, and, and stars and like nebula and like, and, and there's just gas floating around in space. There's gas <laughs> giants. And there's like, I'm like, it's just, it's, it's crazy stuff. And then people talking about the way light functions and gravity functions. And, mm -hmm. and it's just weird. Uh, or think about like interstellar, the paradoxes of, of time and how that works. Um, but scientists, they look at that complexity and they go, wow, this must be true because we would expect the universe to be wild and strange and mm -hmm. bending our minds a little bit. Well, Chesterton saying, why shouldn't we expect that with things like Christianity? Yeah. You know, with the Trinity, with yeah. the doctrines and all that stuff. Like, mm -hmm. why wouldn't we expect there to be doctrines that are complex that aren't easy to deal with? Right. Or one of our professors would say that only heretics sleep at night, <laughs> you know, because he's saying that if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to accept paradoxes. But that's not any different than in real life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There are many things like life is weird. Mm -hmm. So. And, and we're okay with that. Yeah. We should be okay with Christianity being a little weird. Well, Chesterton even says it at the end. He says something like, it's easier to be a heretic than to be a true Orthodox Christian. That's true. Right? So right, right. there is this sort of like, I mean, there's a tension because we do want to say that Christianity is elegant. Right. And, and it reasonable. explains, yeah, yeah a, lot right, of, right. a lot of the data points of experience very neatly, but also in a way that subverts some of our expectations. And so Chesterton's going to try to ride that fine line and show Christianity, while compelling, reasonable, elegant, is also paradoxical and the paradox should be more evidence that it's true. So what would you say is the paradox of Christianity that Chesterton is getting at? Well, he lists a few, but he, he thinks that they do have something in common. So this is what he says. 
As I read and reread all the non-Christian or anti-Christian accounts of the faith, from Huxley to Bradlaugh, a slow and awful impression gradually grew upon my mind, the impression that Christianity must be a most extraordinary thing. For not only had Christianity the most flaming vices, it had apparently a mystical talent for combining vices which seemed inconsistent with each other. It was attacked on all signs for all contradictory reasons. No sooner had one rationalist demonstrated that it was far to the east than another demonstrated with equal clearness that it was far too much to the west. No sooner had my indignation died down at its angular and aggressive squareness than I was called again to notice and condemn its enervating and sensual roundness. And then he says, I'm going to give a few instances of these sensual uh, self-contradictions, four or five, but there are 50 more of them. So basically, the, the common thread here is that no matter what Christianity has done, everything that it's done is considered bad in the eyes of the skeptic. So everything is a mark of Christianity's wrongness. And this is what the skeptic points out. And if this is, if this is the sort of picture that we get of Christianity, Chesterton's going to say the fact that we denounce it for all these sorts of inconsistent reasons is evidence that we're the ones who are flawed mm -hmm. rather than the system itself being flawed. Right. It's in judging it, you realize you're being judged by it. Yeah. You realize that, oh, it's, it's kind of like if you're, if everyone is fine, if everyone's coming at it from different angles, being skeptical of Christianity, it's yeah. almost like interesting how that's drawing that much attention. Yeah. You know, and that Christianity actually might have something true to say. And yeah. we're the ones, you know, and that's again, that's, that's one of the themes that he covers through the whole book where he's turning the magnifying glass up upon ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're trying to inspect Christianity, but it's like, well, do we inspect ourselves? Right. Do we, do we have too much of a trust in our own understanding of things? Hmm. So let's look at some of these self-contradictions. The, so these are skeptics attacking Christianity, mm -hmm. and he's using those attacks to being like, you're actually kind of proving the truth about Christianity. Right. Right? Um, and now, these are different than arguments for Christianity. Right. I think later on he talks about how like belief is not built on one argument. Mm -hmm. It's it's a bunch of little things that, as a composite, form your belief in something. Mm. You know, and uh, maybe when we get to those quotes, we'll get to those quotes. But, yeah. Uh, he says the first uh, contradiction or first attack on Christianity is uh, I was much moved by the eloquent attack on Christianity as a thing of inhuman gloom. For I thought and still think sincere pessimism the unpardonable sin. Um, and he goes on. But if Christianity was, as these people said, a thing purely pessimistic and opposed to life, then I was quite prepared to blow up St. Paul's Cathedral. <laughs> um, but then he, he basically, I'm, I'm going to summarize because he, he talks about this, but he basically says that one accusation is that Christianity makes people morbid mm. and overly pessimistic, right? It prevents them, it's, it restricts them from experiencing joy and liberty. But then, and he says, but another accusation was that it comforted men with a fictitious providence and put them in a pink and white nursery, right? So he's saying, on the one hand, people are saying, religion is oppressive, it's restrictive, it keeps you from joy. Mm -hmm. And the other hand, they go, it's just a crutch to make you happy it's in this cold, thinking. brutal world, it's wishful thinking. Yeah. So he's like, well, which is it? Right. Right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, why, why is it that this is getting these two polarized opinions that are both against Christianity? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's the sort of thing that, He's not finding these contradictions within individual writers, but he's just pointing to the fact that, look, you've got Nietzsche on the one hand saying that Christianity is wishful thinking, it's a crutch for the weak, or, you know, Marx with the opium of the masses, or, and then you get these other sorts of critiques that actually know it's super repressive, it makes people morbid, you're trying to scare people into being moral. And so which is it? Is it, is it making people happy? Is it making people yeah. terrified? Is it a crutch? Is it wishful thinking? Is it the sort of thing we should want to be true? Is it the sort of thing we should be terrified if it's true? And so these polar contradictions, the fact that society, like there's been an uptake in both of those sorts of accusations. People think both of them are good. That's a contradiction. And that it, should tell us that there's something in, there's so, like something went wrong in our reasoning that we think those, contra those accusations are good. And the fact that it's evoking these responses means it's weird. Hmm. It's strange. I mean, that's what Cheston starts talking about. Um, he, he says that it must be understood that I did not conclude hastily that the accusations were false or the accusers fools. So he's not saying, I'm not saying that they're wrong or they're crazy. I'm simply deduced that Christianity must be something even weirder and wickeder than they made out. Mm. A thing might have these two opposite vices, but it must be a rather queer thing if it did. A man might be too fat in one place and too thin in another, but he would be an odd shape. 
At this point, my thoughts were only of the odd shape of the Christian religion. I did not allege any odd shape in the rationalistic mind. So mm. he's saying that when you see different people disagreeing with Christianity for contradicting reasons among groups, it actually provokes them to go, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. What is this thing that could cause such a disparate kind of reaction? I also love when he says that uh, uh, the very man who denounced Christianity for pessimism was himself a pessimist. Mm -hmm. I thought there must be something wrong. And it did for one wild moment cross my mind that perhaps those might not be the very best judges of the relation of religion to happiness who, by their own accord, had neither one nor the other. So mm. he's basically saying, consider the source. Yeah. You know, if these are cranky, unhappy people who are against religion, you really wonder whether they're an unbiased position themselves. But yeah. Anyway. But even more so than just that, it's not just the critique that people are selfish in looking through a sort of poor lens and reasoning poorly. I mean, that, that's part of the criticism. Chesterton is actually taking aim at some of these skeptics for poor reasoning. But on the other side, like you pointed out, he does think that the, the accusation is targeting something in Christianity. Like the fact that some people see it as wishful thinking, some people think it's terrible and terrifying and morbid, means that the object itself, the Christian religion, is weird. That people can look at it from these two different mm -hmm. perspectives, and it seems reasonable to level these two polar opposite contradictions. You don't normally see things like that in reality where two people look at it and come to the exact opposite conclusions. And so partly it's our reasoning has gone poor when we make these accusations, but also Christianity is a very strange, mysterious system. And right. that itself should at least, you know, pique interest in us. So, right. So the first thing he notices is people are saying that Christianity is gloomy and also it's wishful thinking. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. The second thing he talks about is that Christian, Christianity is monkish, timid, and unmanly, and also incredibly violent and like oppressive, basically, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. he says, uh, I felt that a strong case against Christianity lay in the charge that there is something timid, monkish, and unmanly about all that is called Christian, especially in its attitude toward resistance and fighting. Uh, so he's, he's basically saying it's, it's too weak. Yeah. It's turned the other cheek. Yep. It's let people run over you, all that stuff. Um, but then he says, the very people who reproached Christianity with the meekness and non-resistance of the monasteries were the very people who reproached it also with the violence and valor of the Crusades. So yeah. he's saying, which, which is one it? is it? Pick is, it. Yeah, yeah. Pick is this this conquering religion like the Crusades or is this monkish, timid religion, unmanly religion like the monks were saying? Yeah. And he's not necessarily saying that those aren't false observations, but he's saying that that there's a breadth to Christianity, a strangeness to Christianity that, that those, like the very objections raised against it show how complex Christianity is. Mm -hmm. That it can do both of these things. That it can do both of and these things. And it can raise up a monkish tradition and also lead to crusades and various sorts of things that you wouldn't expect from a yeah. belief system. And it is interesting the kinds of people, I mean, in a sense, how you object to Christianity reveals a lot about you. Mm. So if you think it's too monkish, it's unmanly, it's timid. I mean, you can feel like you can see people today be like, it's Andrew just weak. Tate. <laughs> yeah, there you go, right? Yeah. It's weak. Yeah, it's, it's weak. It's not, mm -hmm. you're not imposing your will. Right. It's making excuses for being a loser, mm -hmm. whatever it would be. And then you've got the idea that Christianity is just inherently oppressive. It's a tool it's of oppression. It's critique. evil. Yeah, right. right? Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of roughly have a, cr a conservative and a liberal kind of critique. Yeah. The conservative, it's like, you should be stronger, more will, more power. Mm -hmm. And this is loosely, I mean, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but the liberal one would be, it's, it's too oppressive right. and it must be deconstructed and all these types of things. And what Chesterton does is zoom out and he goes, well, first, let's notice the reactions. Let's not even deal with whether that's true or not, or to what degree it's true. Let's just zoom out and notice all these reactions. What kind of a thing could get everybody so riled up mm. in a sense? Um, and I think you can see that in Jesus' ministry. I mean, he, he annoyed everybody in yeah. a sense. You um, accuse me of being too stoic when I yeah. don't do things and you accuse me of right. partying, right? Like right. it's, and I, 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 that's interesting. I hadn't even thought of it like that, but yeah, Christianity has always historically, even from the gospels, been accused on both sides with this sort of Conservative and liberal, we use those terms just meaning like opposite ends of the mm -hmm. spectrum, too aggressive, too timid, too wishful, too morbid. And that that should sort of get us thinking about the, the nature of the thing we're, we're talking about. And it's a live debate within Christianity. Things like what is just war? What, right. what, what is an ethic of nonviolence? What mm. does that mean? What are the conditions for that? And the fact that there is debate is actually, a, I mean, sometimes I think 
you can be skeptical and say, well, is Christianity true? There's so many different perspectives. There's so much infighting within Christianity. But it's also like, well, if we're doing some, if we're dealing with something of the divine, if we're dealing with true revelation, yeah, then you're going to expect a level of complexity that's going to create conflict. We're going to have these debates. We're mm. not going to totally agree. There's going to yeah. be different traditions that emphasize other things. And the fact that there even is a conversation and, and the fact that there can be some differences, I think, again, furthers the idea that this probably is from, if, if, if we could get it totally perfectly right, it probably isn't from God. Yeah. Now, there are some things that we do get right that I think that are more clear than others, but uh, I never thought of it that way. It's usually used as a, as a thing against Christianity that you can have these different emphases mm-hmm. rather than something for its complexity. And because it's so complex, it probably comes from God. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, this this follows that thread from the last chapter where Christianity offers something in the middle between the pessimist and the opposite uh, or pessimist and the optimist. So there is the fact that it can be seen from both these lenses means that Christianity pushes against both the polar opposites and forces us to sit in this narrow sliver in between. So while there is like a pacifist strain, like turn the other cheek, be ascetic, there is also a kind of like, um, I mean, not th- th- there's a just war tradition. There's there's a, a sort of like courage and bravery and and it's not, it, it's nuanced, it's something in between the two. And if you just take one of those prongs and go to the, like its logical conclusion, you miss out on something important in Christianity. So Christianity subverts both extremes of the interpretations. I think later on though, he says, you're not supposed to split the difference, but you actually kind of go bipolar a little yeah. bit. Like you, yeah. you go, you actually go to the, in one sense, you go to the extreme in both and you hold them together. Yeah. Cause that's one of the things it's like you, on the one hand, you are not going to seek your own rights in the sense of martyrdom is a live option for a Christian. Yeah. On the other hand, though, you are fighting. Right. There's a spiritual battle. Yeah. And you see both of those, and the gospel doesn't, and, and the New Testament, and the Old Testament, all it doesn't say split the difference. It says both those things are very true, and you can live both, and there's a harmonization of the two. But you actually have to push yourself deeper into both, in a sense. You know, the martyr has a greater sense of self-sacrifice. Mm. The one who fights against his flesh, the world, the devil, all that stuff has a greater sense of battle and a greater sense of wanting to, to fight and, and to conquer in that sense. Um, but it's knowing when and where and right. what for and to what purpose. And that, right. that's, that's the wisdom, the prudential That's aspect. exactly what wisdom is. I mean, yeah. you read Proverbs, answer the full according to his folly, don't answer. Right. And the idea is that, or don't answer according to his folly. And the idea is that there's a situational awareness mm-hmm. that has to happen. Right. And I mean, that, could be, that could be a whole yeah, other yeah podcast but uh so number one he says people say christianity is gloomy yep. but also wishful thinking mm-hmm. and then number two people say that christianity is uh weak pacifistic, and unmanly pacifistic monkish, and yeah. then also violent and mm-hmm. oppressive right yep. the third one he says um is that uh i make a third case the strangest of all because it involves the one real objection to the faith the one real objection to the christian religion is simply that it is one religion and the world is a big place full of very different kinds of people. Um, and so he's basically talking about how. Um, kind of like a, like a every, all roads lead to the right. same and sort of just uh, ethical humanism where the moral code is whether you go to China and read Confucius right. or to the, we all have this shared sense of morality and there's a universal brotherhood, but he's going to poke some holes in that. Well, he basically says. Whenever it comes, he says, when considering some pagan or agnostic, we were to remember that all men had one religion. Mm -hmm. When considering some mystic or spiritualist, we were only to consider what absurd religions some men had. Uh, So he's basically saying, when we look at pagans or agnostics, we go, well, that's fine. It's a universal religion. We see the art. But for Christianity, somehow it's like, no, that's, That's we moved on from that. And I think you see that today. Absolutely. Where you're like, every religion, it's like, I just want to be curious about it. We right. need to be open to it. But Christianity, you shut the door, right. you lock it. Mm-hmm. It's oppressive. It's terrible. It's evil. Um, it's amazing just how true this was like it's 130 it's years prophetic. ago. And it's yeah. still the case today. It's the exact same, everything, universal brotherhood, ethical code. We're all in the same boat. We all have the same compass. But when it comes to the Christian ethic, there's something that's distinctively grating and off-putting about that. And that's the one that we want to label as uh, backwards, traditional, repressive, but the universal ethic, that's true. So at once we are universalists about ethics and relativists because we think 
no, it's not the Christian ethic. That's the backwards one. We have to move forward. Well, he makes the point that um, he was offended that he said, and I was thoroughly annoyed with Christianity for suggesting, as I suppose, that whole ages and empires of men had utterly escaped this light of justice and reason. But then I found an astonishing thing. I found that the very people who said that mankind was one church from Plato to Emerson were the very people who said that morality had changed altogether and that what was right in one age was wrong in another. So he's kind of saying, I was annoyed that Christianity is making this exclusive claim. We yeah. have the truth. We are right. Mm -hmm. We are the one true religion. Yeah. And he's like, that's offensive. But then people give a pass to Plato and they go, oh, they're all part of that one true religion except Christianity. Christianity mm -hmm. is false. Right. Christianity is wrong. It's backwards. It's oppressive. And again, you see that today. Mm -hmm. Everyone's just like, it's one of those dynamics, I think, where you're always more critical of your own family. Yeah, right. You know, you go to your neighbor's house, you're like, well, they do things great. It's like, mm -hmm. but you don't live with them. And it's easier to just poo-poo your own family. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's because the West has a predominantly Christian heritage. So it's but, easier to critique it from the inside. Right. Yeah, yeah. But in reality, though, you can also be blind to the goodness of your own family, your own tradition. Yeah. If you're constantly looking elsewhere. And, and I think well, that's maybe it's on the point. I think the biggest thing he's saying is that um, you're not being as objective and as open minded as you think you are. Mm. Right. And I think he really is poking at the agnostics, the open. I mean, because think about what they're saying when they say that uh, look at paganism, look at Islam, look at Christianity, all that stuff. It's all just one religion at its core. Mm -hmm. Well, saying that it's all one religion at its core is its own religion yeah. that you're imposing upon them because yeah. none of them would say that. Right. Yeah. Right? Or you've looked at the religions and you have taken what you think is like that's that's the core. That's the good stuff. And you've cobbled for yourself this abstract idea of the one true religion that leaves out the distinctives of Islam, paganism, mm -hmm. Christianity, and no true adherent of any of those would ever say you've represented their values or beliefs charitably um, in this effort to make this one true religion. He said that uh, it looked not so much as if Christianity was bad enough to include any vices, but rather as if any stick was good enough to beat Christianity with. And so now he starts to see something. He goes, all these people are attacking Christianity. Mm. Maybe there's something underneath this. Maybe they just don't want this to be true. Yeah, because everything is a stick. They're throwing everything. Yeah. At, they're throwing the kitchen sink, everything mm -hmm. at Christianity, trying to get it to be discredited. And mm. it's like, so now he's zooming again, zooming back and noticing the phenomena. Why does this one particular religion annoy you so much? So that nothing it does is right. Everything right. it does is wrong. Right. Which he says right. later on that this is like, should be should be a miraculous sort of coincidence. Yeah. That we, everything we look at in the Christian paradigm, in the Christian worldview, in Christian history, everything we look at, we come to a verdict that this is wrong. Maybe that tells us something about our own judgments rather than about the thing we're studying. Right, right. I like this comment he makes. Um, he says that uh, some skeptics, slightly more advanced, said that the great crime of Christianity was forcing the family and marriage upon us, mm. that it doomed women to the drudgery of their homes and children and forbade them loneliness and contemplation. The charge was actually reversed. Or again, certain phrases in the epistles or the marriage service or the marriage service were said by the anti-Christians to show contempt for women's intellect. But I found that the anti-Christians themselves had a contempt for women's intellect, for it was their great sneer at the church on the con on the on the continent that only women went to it. In other, in other words, he's saying uh, Christianity is oppressive toward women. It's shackling them to things like marriage and child rearing. Mm. On the other hand, though. All these women are converting to Christianity because it's so weak and foolish and women believe it, you know? And so both of these charges are being thrown. It's like, well, which one is it, guys? It's anti-intellectual yeah. in that it, yeah. It, so the, the critique is that it doesn't let women do the intellectual life. Right. And so that's repressive. But also when women are the ones coming to it in droves. It has no intellectual say, this is, life or something. This is a sign right. that it's problematic. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I just love how he... How, how, he, how he brings out the contradictions. And the thing that I appreciate about this book is he shows that Christianity has some teeth. It has a backbone, you know, that, that there's, you can, it can feel in our day and age that it's something so absurd to defend mm. when there's all the rational people out there with science and all these things. And when he, he flips it on its head, he goes, actually, one, um, there is a rationality to Christianity, but also the fact that it is so heavily contested should give you confidence that it's probably true because it's annoying all different quarters of people or at least give you pause that everyone who's making these critiques is 
missing something. Right. right? Yeah, that's because, a better way to put it. Yeah. It's, it's leveling it's more the conservative. playing field. Yeah. It's leveling the playing field and being like, you you guys have something to answer for too. Yeah. Right? Um, it, it, it's a challenge. It's saying that whatever thing you level against Christianity, you think it's not this or not that. One, it's like, why are there so many contradictions in what people don't like about Christianity? Yeah. Um, are those the four that he gives? Or does he give another one? He gives, I think, a fifth one. I thought he said... I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I counted four. Then he goes on to the discussion about courage. and Well, he, he ties together some of these threads. But if you, if you found a fifth one, you could... Maybe it's this one. Um, Christianity was in their eyes only one of the ordinary myths and errors of mortals. They gave me no key to this twisted and unnatural badness. Such a paradox of evil rose to the stature of the supernatural. It was indeed almost as supernatural as the infallibility... <laughs> Of the Pope. I was like, I love that. Line. I have no idea what he's talking about there. Is he, this is pre Catholic? Well, he's, he's saying here that, like, if you think it is a sort of, um, it, it would be a miraculous coincidence if the Pope is always right. Like, you're a skeptic and you're just looking from the outside in. Right. Now, just like flip that on its head. If you are skeptical and every skeptical argument seems to work against Christianity, there's a kind of infallibility there. Nothing about Christianity has ever been good or right. It's almost like he, you think the skeptic is the Pope. There, oh, right? like there you every go. Every single like skepticism yeah. is infallible when it comes to Christianity. That is true. If it's some, just, it's so brilliant. If somebody says like, how can you be so sure about this? Like, like you can't be sure about this. I'm like, wow, you're very sure about that. Aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you're very dogmatic about that. Yeah. And he's trying to reveal that we all have our dogmatisms. We all have our, presuppositions, we all have things that we assume. Hmm. And, you know, the, the skeptic who says, I don't like how Christianity looks down on everyone, doesn't realize that he's stacking up chairs, standing at the top, looking down on Christianity. Exactly. saying that. Well, I mean, the, the next line he says, a historic institution which never went right is really quite as much of a miracle as an institution that cannot go wrong. Yeah. So basically, if you think Catholicism is arrogant or you, it, it's, it would be a miracle if every single time the Pope spoke, it were infallible. You should be equally suspicious of the skeptic who thinks everything in Christianity's past is bad and it can do no right ever. Here, like that is that is an insane position. It to reminds tell. me of uh, in one of the prior chapters where he, he mentions um, the the candid friend who always tells it like it is kind of thing. Mm. He's like, but he's not telling you one thing. How much he enjoys yeah. raining on people's parade yeah. and being uh, hurtful and not helpful. And I feel like that with the skeptic. You know, he, he's so distrusting of everyone's motives, but he'll never reveal his motive for being so skeptical, mm. which is he just takes pleasure in ruining people's day. Like a philosopher. There you go. That's what it is. Um, I like this discussion of virtue, unless you had something else to add on the, the Pope skeptic no, miracle thing. No, 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 no. Talk about virtue. <laughs> well, he, he talks, he ends this by sort of talking about how Christianity, Christi like believing Christianity is itself virtuous uh -huh. because courage is a weird oh, kind of yeah. virtue. That's a great quote. And the also how quote. he thinks Christianity has shaped our moral imagination so that we, we now think about ethics in a very different way. But he says, courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. He that will lose his life, the same shall save it, is not a piece of mysticism for saints and heroes. It is a piece of everyday advice for sailors or mountaineers. It might be printed in an Alpine guide or a drill book. This paradox is the whole principle of courage. Even of quite earthly or quite brutal courage, a man cut off by the sea might save his life if he will risk it on the precipice. He can only get away from death by continually stepping within an inch of it. And then he gives metaphors about soldiers willing to yeah. go into enemy lines to get out to the clearing on the other side, that basically this principle of dying to live is true, not just for saints and martyrs, but as a general principle of life that if you really want to live a good human life, it takes courage. And that means going into dangerous territory, philosophically speaking. And Christianity, he thinks, is that sort of um, danger zone where you go into it, it's difficult, it's painful, it's a little bit dangerous because it's paradoxical. But it takes courage to entertain paradoxical conclusions and to go into it and come out on the other side. But if you never risk anything intellectually or philosophically, you're not really living your life. You're the equivalent of a sailor who's on a ship stranded and has no, he, he knows that he's going to die. Unless he like risks jumping into the water or making some sort of raft and doing something risky, 
That's what courage is. He's only going to save his life by making the risky move. And so he's basically accusing the skeptic here of cowardice, hmm. that you are sitting back and refusing to entertain something paradoxical, and you want to treat everything one-dimensionally with these easy, neat and tidy objections. When Christianity has been around for 2,000 years, it's a, it is a philosophical tradition that is worth reckoning with in all of its grandeur. But if you just take a sort of like time slice or a little sliver of it and you say, well, I don't like it because it seems pacifistic, or I don't like it because it seems repressive to him, or I don't like it because of this, you have flattened this 2000 year tradition and you're being a coward intellectually. Oh, I love that. I mean, because he, he, he just basically takes it to him and he talks about the courage of Christianity. I mean, thinking about it, I think today we think of Christianity as like, it's like a little trinket. Hmm. Like, or it's like a little thing that we admire from afar, or yeah. it's it's life maintenance. It's so you can help with your daily problems and all stuff. Instead of like a mountaineer, he's looking at the mountain range. Yeah. He goes, "I'm going to climb it, mm -hmm. right?" And it is one of those things where if you're if you see Mount Everest and you're like, "We're going to climb this thing. It's going to be glorious." That's, yeah. That the challenge and the paradox and the immensity of it is actually something that compels you. That's a different mode than a guy behind you who's going. Well, I don't think the, the weather's going to be too bad and, and the temperature's going to drop and it's too yeah. high and we don't have the right hike equipment. That's like what he's saying the skeptics are saying. He's like, I think you're just a coward. What you're calling wisdom yeah. is actually just cowardice. It's excuses. You yeah. don't want to actually go there. Yeah. And I think that is a helpful way to view the Christian life where it's like, it's not about, you're not going to have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. And it is a journey. I mean, you think about how when you first became a Christian, you just knew a couple of doctrines and, and, but you were, in some ways, that those early years, you're, you're walking a little more by faith in a yeah, sense because yeah. everything's new. You're adventurous. You're adventurous, risks, you know. You're, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I love this, the, the next passage where he says, a soldier surrounded by enemies, if he is to cut his way out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must not merely cling to life, for then he will be a coward and will not escape. He must not merely wait for death, for then he will be a suicide and will not escape. And this is the best part here. He must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference towards it. He must desire life like water and yet drink his death like wine. And this is, it's basically Jesus's claim that if you want to lose, if you want to gain your life and save it on your own, you will lose it. And so this principle of dying to self, risking, uh, being willing to take on adventure. And here, Justin's talking about poetic, intellectual, metaphysical, philosophical adventure. That's the way to a truly satisfying human life. And the skeptic, for all of his talk of philosophy and reading and texts and grasping of traditions, is actually an intellectual coward by choosing to sit on that which he thinks is obvious and immediately in front of him, rather than risking and climbing the mountain. A lot of times it's not intellectual, it's what would I have to give up? Mm. How much of my life would it change? Do I really wanna do this? Do I really wanna follow Christ? Do I really wanna deal with the, the hostility that, that might come with it, the yeah. relationship problems that might come with it, all that stuff. And I mean, it's through the gospel Jesus is talking about, you know, count the cost, count the cost, yeah. understand this. Mm -hmm. But there is something to that where, it, and, and he's, he's going, look, it's, it's both, mm. right? Um, is it, you know, is it, the, is it the Crusades or is it monks? He's like, well, I mean, those are extremes, but they're centering around this idea that like your life is not your own but it's for a great mission, mm -hmm. right? So you have those both there. You're not all about self-preservation. You're willing to give your life, but you're willing to give your life for the great victory, right? Right? Um, is it about gloom or is it about wishful thinking? Well, it's like, it's it's gloomy about the fallenness of the world and mm -hmm. how bad it is, but it's not wishful thinking. It's hopeful knowing that there's redemption. So yeah. it's both. And right. it's what Paul says. We're always sorrowful, always rejoicing. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is through these you know, they're coming at it from different angles. It's like, wow, there's a complexity to Christianity that actually helps us understand the world. Mm. It actually helps. I always think about this too. When you think about like the problem of evil, when you think about like, <clears throat> you know, dealing with uh, the injustices in the world or, or the, the, the sins that are committed by yourself and other people. And you're like, how can anyone believe it? But you read through the Bible and it's like, that's what it's filled with. Mm -hmm. How long, oh Lord? How long are these bad guys gonna keep banging on my door and trying to kill me? You know, how long am I gonna suffer in this pain? You know, the book of Job, like the Bible's aware of the complexity of life. Ecclesiastes is all about the complexity of life. Yeah. And so these are not foreign, it's not like the biblical authors were like, oh, we're just gonna make wishful thinking our theme mm -hmm. and make this fantasy world. The Bible is full of complexity. Yeah. 
and it says something true about the human experience. Um, he says, uh, the Christian courage, which is a disdain of death, uh, he talks about, this is the banner of the mystery of chivalry. The Christian courage, which is a disdain of death, not the Chinese courage, which is a disdain of life. I'm just offended by no. that. That's racist. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> the, the China, I think he's talking maybe about like a Zen kind of like, like a Buddhist. Oh, maybe. Like, like all pain is suffering. <clears throat> or all, right. all, like life is suffering. Pleasure is suffering. The best way is to detach yourself from this mm. world kind of thing. Yeah, it could be. Um, where he says Christian courage, <clears throat> it's, it's, not, it's, it's a zest for life. Instead Whereas of maybe, a Zen for life. <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe, maybe the Buddhism is saying life is, and pleasure is full of pain so we disdain it we disdain it we want to like detach ourselves from it perhaps yeah, yeah. whereas christianity says no we love life so much that we're not afraid of death mm. and that's a different thing yeah right um it's not an escapism and he talks about that soldier the soldier is that paradox mm -hmm. how is a soldier going to get get out alive if he's surrounded by mm -hmm. enemies mm -hmm. well he's got to be willing to die right otherwise he won't take action right right um, and so there's this sense in which in order to live, he must die. He's going to die anyway. Like right? that's he's gonna just, die, he's going to die anyway. That's true. So you that's, just have to take right. the risk. And that's the <clears> biggest <throat> thing too with mortality. And, you know, I think that does something to you. You know, people <clears throat> come to faith when they go through a, a difficult illness or yeah. they lose somebody. Or, and it's like, oh yeah, you don't have much time on this earth. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. And then that really starts to crystallize and clarify things in your life where right. you're like, it's not even just that there's this mountain, you're very skeptical whether it's worthy climbing. It's mm. like the ground behind you is sinking and you got to do something, right? What are you going to do? I think there's a hymn about that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I want, did you see that part about um, how Christianity changed the virtues? Did you catch that part at the end? Uh, Paganism <clears throat> declared that virtue was in a balance. Or the, the meekness and how like... Talk about that part. The... And this is, I mean, Chesterton makes this point, and lots of other people have made it too, that Christianity, and we've mentioned this before on the podcast, that Christianity in the first couple centuries radically changed the ethical paradigm of the West. Mm -hmm. And we went to from seeing human beings as in this social hierarchy where the, the lower in the hierarchy you were, the more of an object you were, right? And so you were just a vessel to be used by those in authority. If you even look at Aristotle's conception of ethics, the domineering, rich, landowning man. But Christianity sort of inverts that. Yeah. And when we look at the ethics that we praise today, meekness, caring for the poor, caring for the marginalized, look at like, like what we call classically liberal ideas of caring for the marginalized, that is a distinctly Christian idea that you see in humanity all the same value there. And so he, he, he says here that meekness is more dramatic than madness. In historic Christianity, rose into a high and strange, this is French, coupe de theater of morality, things that are to virtue, what the crimes of Nero are to vice. So basically, acts of virtue that were unparalleled in history. The spirits of indignation and of charity took terrible and attractive forms, ranging from the monkish fierceness that scourged like a dog, the first and greatest of the Plantagenets to the sublime pity of St. Catherine, who in the official shambles kissed the bloody head of the criminals, Poetry could be acted as well as composed. The heroic and monumental manner in ethics has entirely vanished with supernatural religion. And again, our ethical teachers write reasonably for prison reform, but we are not likely to see Mr. Cadbury, the guy who started Cadbury Chocolate, or any eminent philanthropist go into Reading Gaol, and a, uh, this was, I guess was a, a mortuary, and embrace the strangled corpse before it is cast into the quicklime. Our ethical teachers write mildly against the power of millionaires, but we're not likely to see Mr. Rockefeller or any modern tyrant publicly whipped in the Westminster Abbey. So he's saying that contemporary ethical teachers will talk a big talk, but they'll never do what the saints of old did, which is going into the hospitals and the prisons and starting hospitals and living with the sick and dying and taking plagues and diseases on themselves and literally like a sort of careless indifference for their own lives for the sake of others. That sort of ethical paradigm, those acts of virtue, we recognize and praise, which that is itself evidence of Christianity doing some work. But also, we don't have the bravery or the, the ethical fortitude to do these same sorts of actions. So the secular humanists will talk a big talk about prison reform and philanthropy, but they'll never rise to the level of Christian saints who literally gave their lives to the dying, the sick, the orphans, the poor, the slaves, things like yeah. that. And so when you look at moral exemplars, if you wanna know 
like the, the, I guess this is the argument. A mark in truth, uh, in the favor of truth of Christianity is that the people who practice it live radically virtuous lives. Mm -hmm. So there's a supernatural power that enables that more than the humanist ethical paradigm. Right, and it's not saying that you can't be ethical or moral or do good things outside right. of it, but it is interesting to note the correlation there, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. He does talk about too, you know, with Christianity, he's saying, um, you're not looking for a compromise between optimism and pessimism, mm. right? Not splitting a difference, mm -hmm. because that leads to resignation. If you mix two things, it dilutes two things. Neither is present in its full strength or contributes its full color. So. Mm -hmm. He's saying Christianity isn't like there's two extremes and it's right there in the middle. Rather, and I love how he puts this, he says, Christianity got over the difficulty of combining furious opposites by keeping them both and keeping them both furious. The church was positive on both points. One can hardly think too little of oneself. One can hardly think too much of one's soul. So he's saying that there's two extremes. You're, you're like, I'm a, you know, I think very little of myself because mm -hmm. I'm a sinner and I'm humble, but also, uh, there's a glorious destiny for man and my soul is infinitely worthy. Yeah, so right? it's both. So it's both. Mm -hmm. And he says he doesn't, you don't split the difference to go, I'm not that glorious, but also not that bad. He goes, right. it's both in held different together ways, in different, different ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so Christianity makes them <laughs> furious opposites by keeping them both and keeping them both furious. Too mm. fast, too furious. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> and then he says, uh, we must uh, be much more angry with theft than before. And yet, much more kinder to thieves than before. I think you, yeah, you, you yeah, mentioned yeah. this. Mm -hmm. And when you said that, I was like, wow, that's that's kind of the heart of it, mm -hmm. right? There's room for wrath and love to, to run wild, as yeah. you were mentioning it. And so when you think about those, those like, again, those really witty little mm -hmm. turns of phrases that he has, it's like, it actually opens up the world. And he's saying that people who are just looking at one angle are just kind of myopic in their vision. Mm -hmm. And I think today people go, well, you're being closed-minded if you believe that Christianity is the one true religion and all this stuff. Because actually Christianity is the one true religion and it's so expansive that it encompasses and explains creation, mm -hmm. right? And he says, and it's it helps you understand the complexity of the world and it's the way to understand the world, or at least, uh, or, or maybe you could even say this, we can't help but be affected by Christianity. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's shaped the world, it's shaped our ethics, and that should give us pause. And even it's, it's shaped us even to the point where it's the one thing that everyone's trying to beat with a stick from yeah. all different directions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You can't avoid it. And you need to step back and wonder why. I, I never thought about that before, how unique of an idea it is to what we sort of overuse as a cliche to love the sinner, not the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Chesterton says that that's a unique contribution of Christianity mm -hmm. because that's one way to grab both horns where you say that we are really, really strong and we sort of no compromise on injustice, mm -hmm. like the acts that are evil. But there's, a, there's an optimism and a sort of radical, almost irrational love for human beings who are the perpetrators even of that injustice. So to hate the thievery, but to love the thief and have compassion on the thief, the same way Christ does on the cross, like their love and justice or love and or justice and mercy, like it's not, it's not either or. And the person who thinks it's just one of those two has missed something. And maybe this is why like sort of, when you think from just a conservative mindset or just a liberal mindset, you miss out on something of Christianity, but Christianity takes both and just says, you apply them in different sorts of ways. And that is something unique that you don't really find that in sort of other ethical traditions. Well, one of the things too is that and I think it also depends on where the Overton window is in a society. Sure. So it's not like you split the difference between liberal and conservative here. Right, right, right. Or somewhere else. It depends on where the Overton window is and all that stuff. But I do think what he says is interesting where he says that uh, regarding doctrine and heresy, mm. he says, it was no flock of sheep the Christian shepherd was leading, but a herd of bulls and tigers of terrible ideas and devouring doctrines, each one of them strong enough to turn into a false religion and lay waste the world saying that individual doctrines of Christianity to the exclusion of others become false religions. Yeah. So you have to have a holistic view, but the fact that Christianity has all these doctrines mm -hmm. that fit together shows how expansive it is and how it has, how, why someone could on the one hand say, you're too this, yeah. and then say, oh, Christianity is too that. It's like, well, you're only maybe foregrounding one doctrine and not seeing how this other doctrine helps alleviate yeah. the tensions in this other doctrine as well. And it's not, it's not just that this is a defense of Christianity, but a defense of orthodoxy. Right, And right. he's responding to the claim of like 
why why do you care about getting it just exactly right. this right? Yeah. And the answer is because if you don't get matters of infinite importance just right, if you don't have the precision there, right. it says it's only a matter of an inch, but an inch is everything when you're balancing. Right. And so it makes like infinite sort of historical consequences, what sort of wording you use in the doctrine of Christology. That's why it's not just become a Christian or that Christianity is important, but orthodoxy specifically, because Christianity is this uh, experiment, right? That is, it's, it's highly irregular. It's so difficult to pin down. It's so amenable to misinterpretation. Precision is super, super, super important. This is why orthodoxy is everything. And he says it's, it's difficult. It is. Right? But, he's, but this is where the courage comes in, where he says, don't be afraid of that difficulty. It's easy to be a heretic, right? And I love how he takes a shot. He goes, it would have been easier to have accepted the earthly power of the Arians. So they, they had a, mm -hmm. a, a improper doctrine of Christ. Right. We could have just said, okay, fine. That's, that's right. That solves the tension. But instead, the Orthodox goes, no, we're going to live with the tension of the nature of Christ, the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. Mm. And then he says, it would have been easy in the Calvinistic 17th century to fall into the bottomless pit of predestination. So I guess he thinks Calvinists are heretics. So it's kind of like- Same sentence, he condemns the Arians I know, you're like, you're like, you're like with Chesson, you're like, he's like, oh, those Arian, like, yeah. you know, they're saying that Christ is not divine. You're like, yeah, go beat him up. He's like, and you Calvinists, like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hold on, we're on the same that. side. But yeah. uh, it's always simple to fall. There are an infinity of angles at which one falls, only one at which one stands. Mm. Well said by Chesterton. Doctrines had to be defined within strict limits, even in order that man might enjoy general liberties. The church had to be careful so that the world might be careless. Dang. There you go. I just, he just, what a he's, he's incredible. Yeah. I'm falling in love with Chesterton. Oh, wow. Falling well, he doesn't like you because you're a Calvinist. That's true. I know. So. It's okay. There you go. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you again you pick up the book. Follow us on Instagram, That'll Preach Podcast. Share with your friends. Uh, subscribe if you haven't. And uh, spread the word. Appreciate you guys for listening. Catch you guys next week. <laughs>